0: I don't know about you, but when Mandy was praying that prayer, I said amen to so many of them. Thank you, Mandy, for praying and holding us all before God in prayer. Grace and peace to you. A couple of passages um, I'm going to be reading before we get into the sermon. It comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25 as well as Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. I don't aim to hit every single point of both of these passages, but I wanted to read them in our hearing to just help frame our minds as we think about this topic of marriage story. So Genesis chapter 2 can be found in page 2 of your Pew Bibles if you want to follow along or on the screen. So the man named, uh, gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took out of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 21 to 33 on page 949 or on the screen before us submit to one another out of reverence for Christ wives submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church his body In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hates their own body, but they feed and care for the body just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. So today is Oscar Sunday And it's a tradition here at the Tapestry Church to preach a sermon based on one of the Oscar-nominated films of this particular year. It's one of the ways that we like to engage culture and, of course, give us a good excuse to watch a good movie. Who doesn't like a good movie? Our friends at Tap Richmond and Marple are hearing a sermon based on the World War II comedy drama Jojo Rabbit. And Tap Nights, this past Saturday, heard a sermon on the biographical drama called Two Popes. By the way, is an awesome movie. I highly recommend watching that movie. If you've watched Two Popes or Jojo Rabbit this past several months, you know make sure to listen for, uh, to the sermons online at uh, the Tapestry Church's website. Here at Mundy Park, we had put out a poll to see what... Movie, you wanted to hear a sermon about, and the top three movies that were selected were uh, A Hidden Life, Marriage Story, and Parasite. Now, I haven't seen the movie A Hidden Life yet, and uh, but I have to say, watching the trailer, it looks like an amazing movie about being a conscientious objector during the rise of Hitler and the Nazi party in Germany. I heard the cinematography is breathtaking, the story equally compelling, so I will definitely watch it when it's easy to stream. (laughs) Parasite, which I did see, is uh, an interesting one. (laughs) It's dark, very dark. It sheds light on some really dark subjects around class struggle and social inequality in southern Korean society. It twists and turns and twists some more and you're looking to find a happy ending but there is no happy ending. It's a dark movie full of commentary. Interesting note, Parasite is the 12th non-English speaking film to be nominated in 91 years of history as the Oscars have been uh, over the years. So if Parasite actually wins, it's going to make a pretty historic moment. And and all the Koreans are going to be, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All of the above movies are really great movies to watch and talk about, but today we're going to be talking about one particular movie. And we'll be engaging the topic and themes of the movie Marriage Story. Now, I have to ask, how many of you have seen this movie? Okay, a lot of you. Most probably 80% of you. Um, Now, I would love to hear what you think. And so think of one word that describes this movie. And feel free to shout it out. Painful. Broken, conflict. conflict, struggle. Anything else? Real. Reality. Sad. sad. Yeah. This was actually a hard movie for me to watch, actually. And some of the words that come up for me when I think about this movie, yeah, it's it's funny. There are funny moments, but it's sad. It's poignant. It's raw. It's honest. It's real. It's frustrating. It's powerful. It's challenging. There's a tenderness in it. And yes, I think even a hopefulness in it. For those of you who haven't seen this movie, here's the trailer. What I love about Nicole, she is a mother who plays, really plays. Charlie what's happening and Cassie you then hand him the envelope. I just get nervous. Can you unserve? What do you mean like take it back? Charlie and I are getting a divorce mom. You can't be friends with him anymore. Dream ma! Charlie Bird! <laughs> mom. <laughs> mom? What? mom. What? You know most people in my business you just transactions to them. I like to think of you as people. Oh okay good. <laughs> You remind me of myself on my second marriage. I'm you love me all the time. Part of what we're gonna do together is tell your story. Did you dye your hair again? No, this is me. You don't like it? Is it shorter? I prefer it longer but... How are you doing? I realized I never really come alive for myself, I was just feeding his aliveness. I'll never get to really be his parent again. He needs to know that I fought for him. It's not as simple as not being in love anymore. Eventually, there'll be the two of you having to figure this out. Together. We start from a place of reasonable, and they start from a place of crazy. When we settle, we'll be somewhere between reasonable and crazy. I love that line. Reasonable, crazy, somewhere in between. Isn't half of crazy still crazy? (laughs) Ray Liotta plays uh, that role of Pitbull lawyer very perfectly. And in fact, so many of the performances in this movie are just outstanding. Laura Dern, Alan Alda, Scarlett Johansson, and Adam Driver's performances, I think were just absolutely phenomenal. But the question is, what is marriage story all about? Well, (laughs) to state the obvious, it's about a marriage. A marriage between two people, Charlie and Nicole Barber. And it's a marriage story that's told through actually the lens of the ending. Because marriage story, being written and directed by Nora Bomback, Noah Bombak, uh, who himself draws from his own experiences in his own marriage, tells this really honest and heartbreaking story about a married couple in a process of a long and painful divorce. Charlie Barber, played by Adam Driver, is a New York City theater director who directs a low-budget Bohemian avant-garde theater. And Nicole, played by Scarlett Johansson, is an LA actor based uh, and, and has this promising future as a West Coast music, movies, movies, movie star. They meet for the first time in New York when Nicole gets invited to, play, to watch a play that Charlie is acting in. And this play that she sees is like no other. She's really taken. It's different. It's gritty. It's well acted. It's strangely inspiring. And after the play, they meet and talk. They meet and talk some more. And then they meet and talk even more, if you know what I mean. The chemistry between them is electric and infectious. They're off to a very good start. They become a couple, they work together. He as the director, she as his favorite actor, and their lives really at that point begin to flourish. She comes alive as a person and grows as an actor. He rises to prominence as a hotshot director, and their little uh, theater company begins to grow. They get invited to Broadway and uh, and and bring their show to to the big to the big league, so to speak, and and a, and to. Mi- add all of that to the mix, add this all to the mix, they they bring a child into the world too. This couple was off to a very great start. makes me think about the time when you had your very first start. Do you remember the time when you got off to a good start? Charlie and Nicole experiences what so many of us experience whenever we start something new, right? It's the experience of wind in your sails, that sense of joy and excitement that, that you feel when there's something new budding in the air, something new that's being launched, something new that's about to begin. And it doesn't matter if it's a new relationship, or a new job, or a new startup, or a new home, or a new opportunity. There's something that's so wonderful about beginnings. There's this positive, this groundswell of goodwill. There's this energy of unconditional positive regard. There's an excitement of opportunity. There's a joy of collaboration. And yes, of course, there's fears, and there's worries, and there are questions, and there's questions about this uncertain future, but more often than not, all of that is just tempered and overwritten by the power of new beginnings. Because wherever there's a new start, there's always wind in the sails. And good stuff happens, and so much of it is good and healthy for us. The power of new beginnings. It's what we see in the opening. Verses of the Bible in Genesis, when God creates heaven and earth, he creates this garden temple and it's teeming with life. There's birds in the air, fish in the sea, living creatures roaming around. And in this garden, he forms out of the dust of the ground, this man, and he breathes into his nostrils the very breath of life, God's breath in him. And this man becomes a living Being And the Lord puts this man in this garden called Eden. He calls him to work for it and care for it, enjoy it and grow it. And in this beginning, there's creative, life-giving, life-generating power that's being just bursting with. There's life-generating power in beginnings. And so much of it, God says, it is good. But there's one thing that God sees and says that it's not good. In Genesis 2.18, we read the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. Looking at all the creatures of the earth, God sees that there is no suitable helper for Adam. And so he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Just a side note here, in case we are wondering, oh, helper, that's an interesting word. It might be helpful for us uh, when we think about this particular word that's translated as helper is the very word that is often used by God as helper and is often the only other occasion that that takes place. Just in case, we like to think of this word as something that's diminishing. No, in fact, it's not diminishing. It's utterly honorable. And so God causes man to fall into a deep sleep, takes the rib out of his side, not the head, not the feet, but out of his side, creates a woman and brings this woman to the man. And when Adam sees this woman, he breaks out in song. It's wonderful. The first time that we see singing in the Bible is in the opening verses and chapters of Genesis. Adam sings, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Adam rejoices over the gift of this woman, this partner in life and in work. This gift of companionship that cures him of his loneliness and helps him to bear the responsibility of caring for creation. This is the gift of marriage. You and I are created as social creatures made for community. Built for human connection, without human connection, without adult conversation for all you baby mamas, emotional connection, we will wither and die. Without human relationships, we will never be as strong as we think we are and will never be as productive as we thought or we ought to be. It is not good to be alone. God says, and the beauty of all of this is that God gives us this gift of community, this institution that we call marriage, and he blesses it male and female and says to this couple, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the uh, sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. It's the blessing of marriage that through this human coupling, That life and culture and family and life is created and generated. And I say all of this because if there's one thing I want you to take away from today and remember, is that the person that you are married to, or the person that you plan to marry, or the person that you're even struggling to stay married to is a gift. Is a gift. A gift. They are a gift. Kind of like doing this. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a gift. And this applies to all the single people too. Because if you are find yourself single, you are indeed a gift as well. You know, I just wanted to make sure that we uh, we we say that. We're reminding ourselves that. God gives us the gift of human community and relationship of marriage. Remembering the gift of these beginnings, remember the time when your heart sung for joy when you met her for the first time. Remember the time when you realized that he gets you, he sees you, he understands you. Remember the time when she sees what you sees and wants what you wants and is willing to throw in with you and make a life with you. Remember the time when with fondness and admiration you saw just how wise she is and just how loving he could be. And also remember the times that you got through your first fight. I remember my first fight. It was a week after Sarah and I had met for the first time. We were on our second date. We were at um, an Italian restaurant. I took her out to this nice restaurant. We ordered some good food. It was wonderful. And then we started talking. And the topic came around, um, uh, around the topic of wine. And more specifically, whether or not she thinks or whether I believe that pastors are okay to drink wine. I said, sure, why not? A glass of wine during a meal is all good. There's nothing wrong with it, as so long as you don't get drunk. And after saying that, I looked over at her and she had this furrowed brow. (laughs) A look of strong disappointment and disagreement. You see, she grew up in a church culture where the pastors were never supposed to drink, and here she is dating this future pastor who says drinking is fine. It's it's safe to say that the meal was a little bit awkward. After dinner, we had plans to go on a drive, and I could say it was a very cold drive. Not much talking going on in those seats. The whole time I was thinking... I don't think this is going to work. And eventually, I just said, I, I, I think we should just go home. And I turned the car around and I started making our way and preparing to drop her off. And, but on the drive back, she opens up she talks about how she often goes into her shell when there's a disagreement, and there's often time for her to think. And, and, and she said, You know, I just needed time to kind of get out of my shell. She apologized. And at this point, I'm feeling very hopeful. And so I reach out my hand and I say, To, to shake her a hand, and I say, Welcome back. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. And we shook hands while I was driving. And I never stopped holding her hand, actually. (laughs) It was the first time we held hands. And, uh, And I kept holding her hand until I got home. It was our first fight a week after we first met. And I remember that first fight with fondness, and it reminded me that, wow, there are moments where we have challenges, but when we turn towards one another, there is potentially hope and recovery, and, and that relationship can actually bloom. It's, remo- it's important to remember those moments. Remember how it all started. Because life is not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. Sure enough, that wasn't the last fight we've had. We've had many silent disagreements. We've had also rip-roaring fights. But it's very important to remember how it all began. Because, yeah, life throws so many curveballs. Life gets complicated. Things get messy. People get hurt. We hurt one another, and so we need to remember you need to remember your story well. And we need to practice that because the reality is there will be horrible days ahead of us. And no matter how stunning and wonderful and beautiful any start is, there's always going to be a messy, messy middle. And that's where we find Charlie and Nicole at the beginning of this movie, right? They're asked by their mediator to write a short statement describing what I love about Nicole and what I love about Charlie. And watching those opening scenes and hearing what they wrote about one another, it's just really, really delightful. It was Detailed and descriptive, it was quirky and funny. And all the positive characteristics about one another were written with fondness and affection, tenderness and admiration. It was so wonderful to hear. And you can sense that there was a joy that they had for one another and that they probably had that moments a great life together. But what we quickly discover is that not all is well with Charlie and Nicole. In fact, they're deeply entrenched in this messy middle of their relationship. They're in the middle, they're in the mediator's office, encouraged to read what they uh, wrote in hopes that they would remember uh, the fondness that they had for, for this person that they were going to be divorcing. But Nicole has none of it. She storms out of the office. And the rest of this movie is this witness to this long and painful divorce story. And it's, I have to say, it's hard to watch. And I think in many ways, as I think about this, it's not easy to talk about. The reality of it is that 50% of all marriages end up in divorce and it's not always wonderful and pretty and as nice as this movie portrays, it's often very painful and difficult, stressful. In fact, it rates one of the top five stressful events in a person's life. Divorce is equal to a death of a loved one or even being in prison. It's a high stress uh, experience for anyone who goes through it. It's painful. Divorce impacts not only the lives of the couples themselves, but the lives of everyone around them. And it's painful. Something that we'd rather not talk about, even think about, maybe sweep under the rug and not think about it. But I think it's precisely the reason why I appreciate this movie so much. Because it puts it front and center in so many ways. And in fact, it puts a mirror up for all of us to reflect on our own relationships, how we actually tend and care for the people in our lives. I found myself relating to this couple, seeing some of the dynamics in my relationships, and it made me think about the ways that I'm either a good husband or a bad husband. It made me think about my own marriage and relationships that I keep. And I don't know about you, but maybe it made you think about yours own as well. Or maybe it made you think about a marriage that you know of, a family member or a friend that is experiencing struggle with a spouse. We all know someone who are someone who, and we're all close to someone who's struggling, right? And so if there's one thing I think this movie should do for us as Christians, and I love what Mandy prayed, is for us as a church to learn to walk with one another, to pray for one another, to provide loving and caring support for one one another in the good times and through the bad times. We need people to help us to walk through the muddy waters. Now, in some ways, this movie... I feel, is a cautionary tale. As an outsider watching this couple, I find myself asking, you know, what are the reasons why this couple ended up the way they did? What were the factors that played into this relational breakdown? Maybe it was their upbringing, maybe it was their family of origin, maybe it was the way they related to father or mother or was like father or mother, maybe it was their differences of personality and their inability to communicate and while probably all of that might be some of the things that are causing this couple to break down, there's two factors that I see in this couple that potentially is causing problems. And the first thing I see is that there's this obvious power imbalance between the two, right? Hello, God. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there's a power imbalance between the two, right? Charlie holds most of the power in the relationship. It's his theater company that she joins. It's his city in New York where they meet and met for the first time and eventually settles as a family. That's why he continues to insist that they're a New York family. Throughout their marriage, Nicole raises idea of, of maybe directing a few plays or relocating to LA, maybe even changing the furniture in the house. But what she experiences in this marriage is Charlie mainly dismissing her and the story she lives with in this marriage is that she is powerless in this marriage and it really takes a legal process of divorce to shift this power imbalance in their relationship and what you can tell by this one statement that Bert his Charlie's first lawyer says he says Charlie you're a better husband in divorce meaning that Charlie's making accommodations and changing as a result And so there's this power imbalance. And the second thing that you see, or that I see, is that there's this feeling that they have of one another that they're being used by one another. You Remember the fight scene? This is a crazy, wild, crazy fight scene. From Charlie's view... Nicole is this fledgling actor who rose to prominence because she married him and cut her teeth in his theater startup. From Nicole's view, Charlie was keeping her psychologically nimble so that he can use her to, to improve his own professional career as a director. Rather than seeing one another as allies contributing to one another's success in life, they found themselves blaming one another for using each other. Now, whether or not that is truly what happened and how, what was going on at the very beginning of the relationship, that's really not the point because at this time in, in, their, in their relationship, this is exactly what they were seeing. This was their reality. This was a story that they were telling themselves. And the feeling of being used is not good at all. It's toxic to any relationship. And here's where I want to turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 5. And for the sake of simplicity's sake, I'm going to read this passage again and allow and ask you to take a moment to listen. And I'll highlight one or two points and I'll draw it to a close. Actually, why don't you read with me? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives After all, no one has hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you, We don't have time to unpack this entire text, but I do wanna make two points. And the first point is that marriage, as Paul sees it here, is all about mutual submission. Paul says, before he says anything else to wives or to husbands, or later on in that passage, slaves and masters, Before he says any of that, he is putting forth this main principle, saying, submit to one another. The language here for the word submit actually comes from a military world. It's as if a soldier who submits to the structures of authority does so for the greater good of the whole. And so as husbands and wives, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ for the greater flourishing of the, our life together. This, what this means is that, uh, that it means giving up your rights to defer to the other to actually accept influence from your partner. It means acknowledging that there is another person in this life that holds you accountable, that has wisdom to share in your life, that has gifts to give and has truth to speak. It means acknowledging that you are not the center of your marriage and that your marriage does not revolve around you and that your spouse is not an extension of your own ego. Self-centeredness, Paul is reminding us, is the en- enemy of marriage. It's the great killer in marriage. And so this call to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is so that we might experience a flourishing of our own relationships. I think this is why we need Jesus all the more because i am more and more acutely aware as i continue to uh, live in this relationship with my wife just how selfish i am <laughs> am i the only one <laughs> who likes to who who's acutely aware of wow this relationship wow i think of myself a lot more than i think about the other person marriage is a way just to kind of in many ways drive us to Christ even more and say, God, sanctify me. Make me more like you, Jesus. Make me more like you who had everything, surrendered everything so that we might have everything. So marriage is about mutual submission. The second thing I want to kind of say is that marriage and family flourishing happens when there's love and respect and when they and that when love and respect are the cornerstones of a relationship, Paul says, "Husbands, love your wives; wives, respect your husbands." Paul says. Now, without making too much of these gender differences, and uh, you know, and and and, uh, but it's interesting when Paul says to husbands, "Love your wives," and wives, "To respect your husbands," because I think husbands generally like to be seen as strong and competent in the eyes of their wives. See, honey, look what I did. See, honey, I can wash the dishes. (laughs) See, honey, I fixed the car. Come on. (laughs) Uh, uh, Maybe these are generalizations, but, uh, you know. And, And wives, generally speaking, want to be valued and cherished. Yes, of course, husbands need to be loved and wives need to be respected, but the most important thing that we're reminded of here is love and respect must be the cornerstones of our relationships. Love and respect. A recent book that I had read and love is written by John Gottman. Um, He's an American psychologist, and in this book called The Seven Principles of Making Marriage, work. He talks about how marriage requires a strong foundation of friendship that's built uh, over the, uh, built on emotional connectedness through empathy, otherness, intimacy, openness, shared purpose. Um, I'm just going to go ahead. I suggest, highly recommend this book if you ever grab it. It's such a good book uh, to get your hands on and read through. But he basically talks about these seven different principles. Enhancing your love map. That's essentially just understanding your partner, getting to know what their challenges are, the things that they uh, feel successful in and the things that they feel kind of defeated in. Know where their enemies are and the things that they struggle. Understand your uh, partner. To nurture your fondness and admiration, to turn towards each other and not away, to let your partner influence you, to solve your solvable problems, overcoming gridlock because there are sometimes things that will never get resolved in marriages, but understanding how we can value one another's dreams and ultimately share create shared meaning. It's an excellent book, highly recommended. I'm not going to go into detail with any of that, but essentially what he's saying is in any marriage, there needs to be a five-to-one ratio. And this five-to-one ratio is five expressions daily, small ways that you show love and care and, and attention to one another versus the one time where, you know, you might lash out with words that are hurtful or have a time of withdrawal and he says uh, that if there's a ratio of one-to-one in any marriage that it actually in the next 10 years will dissolve and so this ratio of five to one five positive experiences of love and care and giving and receiving versus the one thing that um that's a, that's, a, that's a challenge or hurtful thing it 's the way that we kind of invest in one another 's emotional bank accounts so that when the t- days of trouble comes, we can endure it anyways i 'm not probably doing justice to that book, but i'm more importantly let's put this into practice now, one final thing I, I want to say you know this is such a huge topic and we're never going to hit it all in just this one. And there's so many different relationships. I'm aware of all the different nuances and the stories that happen in any given congregation and even in this congregation. We're all in different places. But I want to give you this one last image. And this past Wednesday, for the past several weeks, we've been going through the sanctuary course, and it's been a really wonderful course where we just explore what it means to be a sanctuary and how to walk with people with mental health uh, problems and all this stuff. And and one of the graphs that um, we kind of looked at was this, and it's this graph that puts you know mental illness on one side men, no mental illness on the other side and then the uh, kind of the vertical axis you've got the languishing in mental health and uh, flourishing in mental health basically uh, this grid is to say that hey we're all on a spectrum uh, whether we are Thriving, or whether we're languishing, and whether we have mental health issues and problems or not, there we're all along this spectrum, and uh, and and I love this next image because often when we uh, ask ourselves where we are on the spectrum, we might be wondering. You know, where is God in all of this? When I'm feeling joyful and God must be there, but if I'm languishing and struggling, God must not be there. But I love this next thing, this image, because we're like, where's God in all of it? God is over all of it. God is in all of it. And I think about this in the context of marital relationships, there's some of us who are single, there's some of us who are married, there's some of us who are divorced, some of us who are looking for marriage, and so easy for us as a church to say, okay, well, this is good, this is good, this is bad, all that stuff, but not realizing, whoa, God can and is in all of it, that God is faithful, that we're with the person who's single, who's yearning for connection and, and praying with that person. We're with the couple who's together and struggling and walking with them. And, and if it so happens that it, things begin to fall apart, that we uh, encourage them to stay together. But if not, then we're with them in the process. And and if they're on the back end or the other side of divorce, then is there hope for Something new for us to also be there as well. Because I think God is there as well. God is faithful in all of it. Because, in fact, if anything, that marriage reflects and reminds us of is that God is the faithful one. Let me pray.